Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think one of the senses that you get as we head towards the SEC Championship on Saturday is things are just a little bit different around these two teams, Georgia and Alabama. On, I guess, at face value, the first thing that's mainly different is is that the pedigree now kind of rests with Georgia in a way that it used to rest with Alabama. Alabama at one point in time was, as we've said before, the full and complete gold standard in all of college football, and yet somewhat that has changed now that Georgia has won the last two national championships. It's no longer Georgia aspiring to be where Alabama is. I would say that for now, it is Alabama aspiring to be where Georgia is. That's one of the things that's clearly most different about the get-together between the Dogs and the Crimson Tide tomorrow in Atlanta. But there's more about this that sort of feels different than just that. You know, in recent years, it's been Alabama who's been this very explosive offense, really leaning on offense more than defense in order to try to win and be a championship-level team. That, I would say, has worked for them to mix results, perhaps more mixed than they even realize. But nonetheless, that's been kind of the the caricature drawn of Alabama, a very explosive offense trying to help a defense that was trying to do just enough to win. This year, it feels like that's a little bit more similar to what Georgia perhaps might be. Georgia, we think, is the most explosive offense of this championship era here thus far. Don't know they've been better offensively than they are right now with Carson Beck at the helm and all of the guys he's got a chance to throw to. Brad Nessler on CBS Sports uh, was on our show yesterday. He kind of echoed some of that there too, thinking this is probably the best crop of receivers overall that Georgia has had, especially when you add Brock Bowers in that mix. So, the vibe around Georgia a little bit different right now the defense admittedly is not a legendary all-time great defense the way that it would have been in 2021 the way there were still echoes of that maybe in 2022 it's still good it's still among the very best defense in the country but this feeling of Georgia could kind of go out there and pitch a shutout against almost anybody we don't necessarily feel like that's the case here right now and we'll have more on this kind of coming up in a moment but it's an example of how the vibe around this game just sort of feels different than perhaps a lot of big games for Georgia have the last couple of years and certainly some of the big Georgia Alabama games have perhaps felt there as well but the other thing we're kind of noticing here too if you look at Alabama for a moment is there is definitely a feeling around Alabama that's just a little bit more relaxed a little bit more comfortable doing things that don't really quite seem like in keeping with typical Alabama tradition one of the things we remarked on on Monday show was when they had the thrilling Iron Bowl win against Auburn and Jalen Milrow threw the fourth and 31 pass that allowed that touchdown to be scored at the end of the game he's running around saying give me the Heisman give me that expletive he was running around saying that not celebrating his team but seemingly celebrating himself and that's once again the kind of thing you don't typically expect an Alabama player to do Nick Saban has been a very disciplined coach and instilled a very strong sense of discipline into his players even the way they celebrate kind of at least usually in the past would have had a certain measure of discipline to it a sort of an Alabama style Alabama process oriented way of kind of doing that and that's not quite the way that Jalen Milrow celebrated that after the Iron Bowl on Saturday honesty compels us to admit And then to kind of further that narrative, this week, one of Alabama's top players, Terry and Arnold, goes on a show. It's called The Next Round Live. It used to be a radio show. Now it's a show pretty similar to the way we do our show here each and every day based out of the state of Alabama. Arnold's on this program, I presume, through some sort of NIL deal or something like that, if I had to guess. 
Arnold is on that show and the name Lad McConkie comes up and Arnold had some very provocative comments about Lad. Now, let me be really clear about what I'm about to play for you. I actually don't think that what what Arnold's about to say is necessarily all that controversial. Some people treat this as controversial. I don't necessarily think that it is. It's more complimentary than not. What it is is just interesting. And it's the sort of interesting statement that Alabama players used to not make. Alabama players used to be very careful about their words prior to a game. This is an example of Arnold not being quite so careful. Maybe this is just because he's an interesting guy who says interesting things. But it is certainly not in keeping with typical Alabama tradition, very provocative comments about what it feels like to potentially line up, assuming he were healthy, more on that in a moment too, uh, what it would feel like to line up across from Ladd McConkey, a very non-Alabama-like statement from Terry and Arnold about one of the dog's top players when healthy. This is Terry and Arnold from the next round live. He's one of those guys, almost I feel like, when you look at him, he kind of reminds me of like a – more athletic version of like a slave Bolden. Like he kind of resembles like Julian Edelman. So like when you go down there, you're like, look at this guy, man. Like you finna you, you finna do this to me? So like when you go out there and you look at him, like I feel like a lot of times people can underestimate him on tape or things like that. But I mean the guy's a ball player. Great routes. And I mean, shot player. Like normally people aren't really taking shots of five foot nine white guys. But I mean he's <laughs> open. Like he's open. And the dude's a gamer. So like he's one of those guys like when we're, when I'm looking at him on film I'm like dang boy I'm ready to guard him because games like this you get up for it. and like matchups like this like you know everybody gonna be watching you know when they motion and it's just backside like that's a feeling as a corner that I mean you have to love like when you're at corner they motion away from you it's three by one and I'm, I'm on the left side of the field so you know nine times out of ten the quarterback is looking straight to his left because it's an easier throw so like you just know that moment and you can kind of feel it like I always say in football. Uh, I've done a better job this year of trusting my instincts. So, like, last year when they used to hit me on back shoulders and stuff, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know it was coming, if you get what I'm saying. So, like, now when it's coming like that, I'm like, oh, man, okay, all right, throw it if you want to. Throw it if you want to. So it's just one of those things like that. Like, the dude is special. He's very elite, and I'm looking forward to uh, us going out there and playing against him. So, once again, I don't believe that's all that controversial. It's certainly not critical. More of what he says is complimentary of McConkie than not. If anything, it's just interesting. And it's interesting in a way that Alabama players typically aren't interesting going into a game. Now, as someone who works in the media, I guess I always like interesting quotes and, you know, kind of things that provide some insight into a player and you know maybe that's what Terry Arnold's providing there so I don't believe that Arnold ought to be raked over the coals for what he's saying he's just being interesting he's giving you a little bit of an honest assessment I I do believe that Ladd McConkey has been overrated I should say underrated and you know underestimated for you know the entirety of his football career for some of the reasons that that Arnold probably speaks to right there that's just kind of part of the of the conversation around Ladd McConkey it sort of always has been but the thing that sort of sticks out to me here is this is just not quite the way I'm used to seeing Alabama players talk before a big game to be this interesting. And maybe this is a reflection of the NIL era, maybe making a little bit of money for the interview if that's what Arnold's done here. Maybe he's more interested in furthering his own brand than he is the the Alabama brand here right now and the typical mystique that Nick Saban puts over that program. And if anything, maybe that's a reflection of the change in the sport overall as opposed to the change in the Alabama program. Perhaps that's the case, but it's just a, a little bit different. And I would say the Jalen Milrose stuff running around and saying give me the Heisman we played that for you on Monday after the Iron Bowl that's also to me a reflection of things run Alabama right now just being 
a little bit different. And it kind of takes me back to on our show a little earlier this week when David Pollack was on the program. And Pollack said something on our show that's gotten so much attention this week about the idea that right now Kirby Smart's the better coach and Georgia's the better coached team. And one of the things that Pollock brought up there was the idea of the discipline between these two teams here right now, including discipline about how you speak. And I couldn't help but think about those words from Pollock when you hear Terry and Arnold right there. Whether he says something controversial or not, he is still being very open and candid in a way that we don't hear Georgia players do before a game like this, not always. So let me give you about 20 seconds worth here of David Pollock on the differences between Georgia and Alabama. This is from earlier this week. And the quote there from Terry and Arnold, I think, kind of reinforces that. Pollock from earlier this week. It's the most unbelievable thing that you can be disciplined and you can be tough and you can be physical and have these five-star kids with Flash and all the stuff, but get them to all speak your language. And and Kirby's done a great job of that. And that's that's crazy to say coming to this matchup a couple years ago, five years ago, that that, that Nick Saban would be outcoached by anybody, but – to me, Kirby's proven that his program and the way he runs it, they're the standard. Listen to that very carefully here for a moment. David Pollock says, at Georgia, flashy five stars still speak Kirby Smart's language. Let me ask you a question. Do flashy former elite recruits still speak Nick Saban's language? Is that what Saban wants a guy like Terry and Arnold to be doing during an interview prior to a game like this, whether it's controversy or not? Does Saban want him saying that? I would say probably not, and yet Saban at this point in time doesn't have full control over what a guy like Arnold says. Some of that's because of how much college football has changed, but maybe as David Pollack points out, that may also be a reflection a bit of how much Alabama has changed here as well. Now, does that guarantee a Georgia win on Saturday? It doesn't. And does the free speech uh, of, of, a, of a Milrow and an Arnold suggest that Alabama is less than fully focused in comparison to Georgia part of this game? As a fan, I hope that's true, but I don't necessarily have any evidence that it is true. I just think it's interesting. Georgia and Alabama are very different right now. Georgia players still choose their words very, very carefully, and Alabama players seemingly don't choose their words quite as carefully. Hard not to notice that. Now, the other part of this that's also somewhat interesting is, you know, the talk about McConkey in general. It is not obvious at all that Lad McConkey is even going to play in this game. In fact, it seems doubtful to me that he will, or at least that he'll be 100% if he does go out there and try to play based on the stuff that Kirby Smart has said this week. A lot of you reacted very strongly yesterday to Kirby Smart's final media availability prior to this SEC championship, and it goes without saying that Smart did not strike a hopeful tone there about McConkey or Brock Bowers or Tate Ratledge or Ra Ra Thomas, the offensive players who were held out of the Tech game this past Saturday. You know, Kirby Smart certainly did not make it seem like it was obvious or even likely that any of those guys might play in the SEC championship. This is what uh, Kirby Smart said about that. Take a listen to this. Yeah, um, great question because I'm, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Uh, and and I don't have a lot more answers now than I had uh, on Monday. They they have not been able to do a lot. Uh, each one has worked kind of independently. Um, Tate has done some some drill work, some uh, some eleven eleven stuff. Uh, Brock sprinkled in some of that. Um, the other guys have been able to uh, run and, and do some things, but we're going to find out today what their availability is. To be honest, so it's very it, it's, it's tough because. It bothers me that people have said out there that we sat these guys for the last game. That wasn't the case at all. They couldn't go. Um, And I don't know if they're going to be able to go in this game. It's just unfortunate to have um, those kind of injuries, especially 
uh, four starters, you know, on offense. If you want to know what I think about that, the honest truth is I think Kirby's probably sandbagging. I'll also add to this. I sure do hope he is. <laughs> I sure do hope that Kirby Smart is participating in some gamesmanship there by underselling the chances of availability for the likes of a, of a Brock Bowers, who we have seen playing, although not against Georgia Tech, and the kind of on-again, off-again status of a guy like Ladd McConkey. I, I hope there's a sense of gamesmanship there. I believe, in my mind, it is likely that Brock Bowers is probably as healthy as he was prior to the Tech game. I believe if there's one of those four players that, to me, is the least likely to play, it's probably Ladd McConkey, just sort of based on the kind of chatter that's out there, the 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 whispers, the rumors, things like that. Rah-Rah Thomas, I'd sort of put somewhere right in between. Uh, Ratledge, I guess I'd probably put a little closer to being in the Brock Bowers category. But it's interesting that a guy like Arnold speaking out so much on Ladd McConkey, and I think those of us who are kind of close to this might say, we're not even quite so sure right now that Ladd McConkey's even going to be able to play on Saturday. Not exactly the most hopeful injury update there from Kirby Smart. But to kind of move off that for a moment one way or another, given some combination of those players, players for Georgia hopefully being healthy enough to play perhaps Brock Bowers the most helpful hopeful of all you know potentially in that situation I do think the conversation right now about playmakers is probably the right one to have both in the Georgia side and the Alabama side how you get the most out of your own playmakers pivotal for UGA how you limit what Alabama does in this situation probably pivotal there as well you won't be able to get all the stops you won't be able to have as the soccer guys like to say a clean sheet you're not going to come out there and shut out Alabama on Saturday and you particularly won't be able to fully limit what Jalen Milrow does on the ground with his legs but you got to be able to limit it some you got to be able to get some stops here in this situation I'll give you a quick number so if you look at Alabama games going back to September 23rd that's the last time that an Alabama game went under the total every game for Alabama since then has either been a push which has happened one time or it's all been overs for you know games all throughout the month of October throughout the month of November and obviously you understand what that is it's a combined point total of both teams you can bet on the over the under Alabama games have been sailing over all of October all of November you look at the success that Nick Saban's had playing in Atlanta recent years SEC championship that's another thing where Alabama for the most part has been a rubber stamp of the over more points scored than expected in most of these games played in Atlanta here in the SEC championship there as well to me that sets up for the idea this will be a high scoring game on Saturday as well at least a game higher scoring than experts think right now the total you know somewhere for this one's been kind of tabbed in those low 50s 52 53 depending on when you've been looking at this I expect this game to probably go over as well more points being scored than not and when John Stinchcomb joined us the great former UGL American on Dog Nation Daily on Monday the one comparison he made about how this game might feel is a heart-stopping game from a year ago when Georgia needed every point it could score to beat Ohio State this is what John Stinchcomb said about that on Monday last year the only real game in my mind was that Ohio State game. yes and if you look at it that was our defense was not suffocating we did very little to limit them offensively and it was reliant on Georgia's offense to respond and they did so and I would say this team uh, this Georgia 23 team is positioned to where we can score points uh, when called upon in ways that we were able to last year, but we didn't really have to except for one game. 
So I think that's a fair analysis from John Stinchcomb. Now we'd say, hopefully speaking, as a Georgia fan here, being as hopeful as you possibly can, it doesn't require Georgia's score to start with a four to win this game. Against Ohio State in that Peach Bowl, if you didn't score 40-something, you weren't winning. You'd like to think in a game like this, you can score 30-something and win the game, but I do believe it takes a score in the 30s to probably get it. And I do believe you're trying to do everything you can to kind of keep Alabama below that number. We've talked in the past about 30-something to 20-something. You know, this sort of feels like one of those days. If you can make it 30-something to to 20-something, that's your recipe to probably try to win this. But Georgia needs a handful of healthy playmakers to do this, whether it's the return of Ra-Ra Thomas, hopefully for sure the return of Brock Bowers, who would be the best player in this game. The return of Ladd McConkey, maybe that's a little bit of a pipe dream, but you'd certainly love for that to be the case there as well. You need as many playmakers as you can because Alabama has been scoring more points as of late. They've had 40 or more in three of their last four games here. This is a team that has been kind of piling up those points, and they want to do that against Georgia again there on Saturday. Georgia kind of wants to do the same thing. But ultimately, it kind of comes down to, as they try to do that, teams that feel a little bit different than they have in the past this is probably the best overall offensive team that georgia's had is the best overall offensive team alabama's had compared to recent years we would say no georgia also perhaps has a slight edge when it comes to the overall discipline the overall level of focus that's certainly what david pollock suggests is true and on saturday afternoon that is the hope of all of dog nation that this program that has grown and grown and grown to the point that it's finally surpassed alabama at least in terms of recent national championships it can demonstrate how true that still is once again in the sec championship my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented today by kroger and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m across all video platforms first and 15 there on dognation.com the dog nation app then radio athens sports radio 960 ref podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com just glad to have you as a part of our program and a huge thanks to our friends at kroger who make it all possible for you here today we certainly appreciate all the things that kroger's done for us all throughout the years making this show available one of our great trusted sponsors and of course they're also a uh, proud partner of everything that you need uh when it comes to your game day and they're a proud partner of the georgia bulldogs there as well so when you're getting set up for your tailgating needs and all the stuff that are going on uh the chips the beer the food everything a plate napkins all that kind of stuff to make your tailgating experience as good as it can possibly be whether it be for saturday or anything you got coming up here as the dogs hope to stay on that mission to go for three and 23 kroger's got you covered on all of that proud partners of the georgia bulldogs and of course fun to have them as a part of dog nation daily for as many years they've been with us so check out the website kroger.com slash football for more on that kroger.com slash football for a lot more on that also speaking of tailgates you go to dognation.com still some space i understand i believe a limited limited space for you to join us for our dog nation go for three and 23 tailgate there at the home depot backyard tomorrow obviously we know the weather forecast not great right now there's the expectation of rain but we do have tents we have things like that so uh plenty of food plenty of beverage go for three and 23 t-shirt uh and some cover there with some tents pretty big tent space there uh for the most part there so that should be a great time tomorrow if you're already making plans to be there i can't wait to see you as we celebrate how this team gets it done and of course a, a lot of fun beyond all of that really really looking forward to that going down there tomorrow and if you want to last sort of second opportunity to be with us and maybe that last minute chance to get that go for three and 23 t-shirt make sure you check out dognation.com 
for a lot more on that. We're going to get Jeff Sintel here coming up in just a moment. We'll talk about the recruiting angle for this game and also kind of what's next here for this 2024 class for Georgia there as well. Recently decommitted prospect that could be on Georgia's radar. Jeff will tell you more about that here coming up in just a moment too. But prior to that, let's go around the doghouse here today, poured by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. And I want to talk about what I believe is a little bit of a misunderstanding about Georgia and then kind of lead it into what I think is going to happen in Saturday's game. You know what the narrative is. And honestly, a lot of us who are Georgia fans, not only we know the narrative, we for a good number of years, we lived through the narrative. This idea that Alabama was the mountain that Georgia couldn't climb. And that as Georgia was trying to build itself up as a program, that Alabama was sort of always that arch nemesis. And there were a lot of people who wanted to hold that over Georgia's head. Back when 1980 was a punchline that worked against dog fans, you know, the notion of not being able to beat Alabama was that thing that not even Alabama fans, other fans would kind of rub that in on Georgia, the idea, but yeah, you can't beat Bama, you know, Kirby Smart, you know, Nick Saban's his daddy or whatever the stuff that people used to say, even like Lane Kiffin kind of put that out there at one point in time. We kind of lived through all that. We understand that. But and admittedly, maybe this comes from like the most pro-Georgia place of all. But I think when you kind of look back on that trajectory for Georgia, I think it's been kind of misunderstood. And it's certainly, I believe it's been incorrectly described. You know, prior to Georgia breaking through in 2021 and winning the national championship, there are all these like dorky media types before that season began who are like, well, if Georgia doesn't win the national championship this year, when are they going to do it? As if Kirby Smart was like 60-something years old and nearing the end of his career as opposed to being a very energetic, you know, high stamina, very young man uh, who was still chomping at the bit to coach potentially many more decades. You know, the idea that Georgia's window was going to close part of the 2021 season, we said before that year began, that was total nonsense. And by the way, we said that coming off a period in like, say, 2018, 2019, 2020, when the results for Georgia had actually been a little bit underwhelming. But we still believe that the long-term window for Georgia to win a national championship was going to stay open for a pretty long time. It turns out they didn't need that. They broke through and won it in 2021. But once again, though, that also kind of speaks to, I think, the overall misunderstanding that was there. Because in truth, the story of Georgia becoming a national championship program under Kirby Smart is not a long-suffering program that had to wait a long time. It was, oh my gosh, can you believe how quickly Kirby Smart did this? Because while overall Georgia had to wait, what, 40 whatever years it was to kind of get back on the national championship scene, the truth is Kirby Smart had not really been a part of any of that. He'd only been there since 2016. And in one year on the job, Kirby Smart had Georgia playing for a national championship. And then after a few more years, actually had him breaking through and winning the national championship. And then they turned around and they won it again the following year, as you well know. So this isn't a story prior to 2021 of a team under Kirby Smart that was waiting this insufferable amount of time. And if it doesn't happen now, when's it going to happen? No, in retrospect, it's amazing that it happened that quickly. And some of the games against Alabama, too, I think, are oftentimes somewhat misunderstood there as well. Then when you go back and look, as heartbreaking as 2017 was in the national championship game, the truth is, if you care about like point spreads, things like that, that game that day was an actual push, meaning the game finished exactly how experts thought that it would. They expected Georgia to lose. They expected it to be close. And that's exactly what it was. In 2018, the SEC championship, which for me personally, may be the single most heartbreaking loss I've ever seen one of my favorite teams uh, have to suffer through. That was a very painful moment. The truth is, if you care about point spreads that day, Georgia actually covered the spread. Now, 
if you didn't bet on it, you don't care about that. You wanted Georgia to win. But what I'm speaking to here, based on expectations, Georgia was actually either matching or exceeding expectations right from the word go with Kirby Smart at the helm, even in comparison to Alabama. In fact, if you sort of broaden this out and look at what you th- sort of think of as elimination games, games where you need to win to move on to have a chance to win the national championship, and if you lose it, your season's over. Georgia's actually done very well in those type of games since Kirby got this program rolling in 2017. Uh, if you count those games up, I have Georgia at 6-2-1 and one against the spread there in that situation, and 6-3 and three straight up, meaning winning the game or losing the game. They've won six times. They've lost three. They've covered the spread uh, at a 6-2-1 and one rate when you think about 2017, 2018, 2019, 2021, 2022, the postseasons in which Georgia had a chance to advance. Georgia's done very well against expectations in this spot better even than Alabama is who's just four six and one against the spread in that same instance so you know this idea that that somehow Georgia in the past has had problems in big games or the big stage has been too much the bright lights of Alabama have been too much the actual truth is is that's not quite as as backed up by data as some people suggest that it is. Now, I've also told you I believe that Saturday's game is going to be close. I believe that Georgia will probably win. I believe it will win, I guess. But I don't have this incredible level of confidence. Oh, it's going to be easy. And oh, Georgia's going to go out there and throttle Alabama. I've got too much respect for all of you to say something that I don't fully believe in my heart. And in my heart and in my mind, I'm assuming this is a close, hard-fought game that Georgia will probably make more plays to win. But here is ultimately, I believe, the big difference maker in this game. And I know I'm going long here, and I apologize for that. But here is ultimately what I believe is the big difference maker in this game. No matter how athletic Jalen Milrow is, and no matter how Milrow's top skill set, his ability to run, is also an area in which the Georgia defense has been vulnerable. No matter how true that remains, the fact of the matter is, in the matchup between Milrow and Carson Beck, Georgia has the better quarterback. It does. And Georgia fans, I think, have been waiting to say that for a long time in a game like this. Clear, decided advantage at quarterback. But when you look at what Carson Beck's done here this year, he has been that. And it's weird to me. Uh, I don't think it's an intentional attempt to overlook him or anything like that. But when you look at, you know, people tout Michael Penix for the Heisman over Carson Beck. But over the course of the last two months of the season, Beck has been far better than Penix. Bo Nix has been very good. But a lot of Nix's throws are these sort of short bubble screen type things. It's certainly not the big, deep attacks down the field, the precision strikes, intermediate range, things like that. The Carson Beck has made the hallmark of his season. You know, this idea that Nix has by far and away had a better year than Beck, I don't necessarily believe that either. The one guy that statistically, I believe, has stood head and shoulders above everybody is Jaden Daniels. We've been impressed by him, but Daniels obviously played on a team that's lost three times. I'm not quite so sure what that says about the overall value of Daniels compared to a guy like Beck, who has been not just a quarterback on a winning team, but one of the key reasons why Georgia continues to win week to week to week. I believe that on Saturday, Beck is perhaps the number one reason why Georgia wins this game there as well, besting Jalen Milrow in something that feels like a little bit of a one-on-one battle. And when Kirby Smart met with reporters yesterday, he also talked more about that, the growth of Beck and how Beck has kind of waited in the wings, watching other quarterbacks at UGA getting ready for this moment right now. This is what Kirby Smart said. I think he would tell you that he, he learned a lot from all the quarterbacks that were here. People just keep forgetting that he was here with JT Daniels. So he sat in meetings with uh, JT and uh, Monk when they would go back and forth about 
what the read is, what we're looking at, how we're doing it. JT was a really bright quarterback, and uh, and Carson sat in those meetings, heard him, and then as JT moved on, he got to sit in and listen with Stetson, uh, and, and and hear him talk and learn things, and and he was a. Uh, uh, really the entire time a sponge and he was growing through all that like we knew sitting in meetings that he was a very bright quarterback he was right there with JT and Stetson in terms of competition and uh, it's it, it's it's clear that he was growing as he was experiencing all those reps and moments and certainly glad that all those spring practices and fall camps he just got so many uh, twos reps to help him get to where he is now growing in those moments preparing him to get to where he is now that's what Kirby Smart says and we obviously know the shoes he has to fill because the thing that made Stetson Bennett a Georgia legend was how he played in big games this I think we would say is the first truly big game that Carson Beck has played in he's been on the road in the SEC he's been a part of rivalry games but this is an entirely different level of competition on an entirely different stage. It's kind of the final box for a guy like Back to Check in a season which he has checked all the boxes here thus far. But if the last 12 games are our guide, then Back will be as ready for this as he has been for any other moment thus far this season. He's the reason that George is still undefeated, perhaps more so than anything else. And I believe perhaps the most likely reason that George will win on Saturday. Jalen Milrow versus Carson Beck, I believe that's advantage back, which I believe means advantage dogs in the game overall. And that is around the doghouse. And it's poured today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. And of course, as you head into uh, Atlanta tomorrow, of course, you're getting that tailgate stocked up, ready to go. How about some peach-flavored version of the peach, uh, I should say, of the Finish Long Drink. For a limited time here in the Peach State, you can get that peach-flavored version of the Finish Long Drink and be enjoying that as part of a watch party or a tailgate or whatever you have going on. Or maybe for you, it's one of the other versions of the finished long drink. Maybe after Thanksgiving, you're still looking forward to kind of watching that waistline a little bit. That means the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Or if you're just ready to have a good time, you want the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. I can certainly get that. Uh, a long drink, the traditional, I still probably like that best of all, blue can, uh, citrus flavor, gin kick. Uh, a lot of you like that long drink cranberry. I know we have a big Christmas party coming up in our neighborhood. I'm guessing we'll be seeing a lot of long drink cranberry is coming out there for that a lot of you doing that holiday party thing time of year this time of year so the finished long drink goes great on all of that there too so make sure you try some go to the longdrink.com put in your zip code you can learn the story about how the finished long drink kind of came to america and eventually came here to the state of georgia you can also find out where you can pick some up including that peach flavored version of the finished long drink check them out online thelongdrink.com today all right i have gone long here off the top so i want to apologize to jeff centel we'll try to make good use of his time here looking at what's next this 2024 uga recruiting class because by the way we're coming up on uh, a pretty big time of year on all of that but also kind of the tail of the tape that kind of got us where we are with georgia and alabama here on saturday let's do all of that as we welcome in jeff centel here on dog nation daily presented by kroger From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Welcome in Jeff Sintel to the show. And once again, apologize to getting to Jeff for getting to Jeff a little late here. But, uh, you know, Jeff, I talked about this yesterday. I want to begin our conversation with you on this. We've been doing this now for a long time. I've been following recruiting as, you know, a keen observer for a long time, too. So over the course of years, you hear lots of different, you know, quotes from recruits and things like that. I don't know how many have stuck with me more for longer 
than the Dallas Turner quote that we gave yesterday about back during a very weird time of year, summer of 2020, when there were no visits to be taken place, uh, when people were having to make their recruiting decision on the base of a limited amount of information compared to how recruiting worked before that and how it's worked since then. I remember in the pages of Dog Nation, story written by you, Turner telling you that Alabama was ahead of Georgia because they had all the draft picks, they had all the national championships, that it was sort of a Pepsi challenge, so to speak, and it just tasted better to go to a place uh, that it had, you know, that success. And that stunk because I really liked Turner as a player, but also really wanted Georgia to be where Alabama had been. Well, here we are now with Turner, you know, playing in this game in 2023. And, you know, suddenly it's Georgia, who for the entirety of Turner's career has won all the national championships and Georgia, which now dominates the NFL draft in a way that Alabama perhaps once did. I'm not saying that to dunk on Turner because I think he's a great player, but boy, doesn't that as much as anything speak to how much has changed in this, you know, very competitive series between these two teams uh, since Dallas Turner had the ability to be able to say that? Yeah, Brandon. Hey, uh, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Happy Championship Week. Now, folks, this is why Brandon and I go a long way back. First of all, I'm able to interpret what my man just said there. And he's hurting a little bit about that comment because he sees Dallas Turner. He sees 10 sacks. He sees big-time pass rusher. And he he was hurting so much, he dropped a Pepsi Challenge sponsor plug in there. When, when, when we all know he should probably say something like Dr. Pepper Challenge or something like that these days. But Brandon, you're you're right, and it, it's kind of this is kind of where he kind of works in recruiting. Um, last night was a perfect example. While it's fresh on my mind, Marcellus Barnes Jr. told me last night that he trusts Georgia so much. Kirby will Muschamp development NFL defenses. Andre Evans said the same thing about eight hours earlier yesterday. That they trust Georgia and Kirby. The brand is that strong to the point where. Marcellus even said, you know what, they really don't need to hire a cornerback's coach or let me know who it is because I know it's going to be good because it will have Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart's hands all over it. And those guys have been around the block. They know who to look for. They know who to pick. And he felt complete trust, Brandon, his words in what Georgia would pick for his position when he's got a decision to make. I mean, that's just where Georgia's at right now. Where I love the word pushback sometimes. I know – I know people are in the business of spinning a headline, but there's been some this week from many media members um, where they're like, there's a Bama curse or Georgia has to shake off bad juju and bad vibes. I just don't think that exists anymore. I'm, I'm, you're, you've probably shown that on your program, but if the game is won or lost on Saturday, it won't be because of those boys in red and black or white and red. It will be because they don't feel like they can beat Alabama, and Alabama's 800 feet tall because I know they've seen the South Florida field. No, that's right. And, you know, to go back to the Turner quote here for a moment, I mean, that just sort of speaks to, you know, kind of what was once true, but, at you know, at a point in time, changed. And it didn't just change because Georgia finally broke through and won in 2021, but it changed because in the years prior to that, Georgia was putting a roster together that could match Alabama. And I still don't know that from a – you know, measurable talent standpoint, Georgia's completely surpassed the Crimson Tide because I believe this year, Bama's got the highest blue chip rating of all time. So it's not like the Alabama talent level's necessarily gone down, 
but the talent level of Georgia has just gone up and the way in which you know Kirby has developed and deployed those players has also been at kind of an unmatched level that the story since the 2021 season or actually predating that leading up to what eventually happened in 2021 has been the fact that Georgia has put the kind of players together that could become the kind of draft picks that Dallas Turner once said Georgia didn't have and that Georgia could start winning the national championships that everybody had noticed that at least in comparison to Alabama, Georgia was also not winning. Yeah, and you know, when I think about a lot of those recruitments that I knew pretty intimately uh, back in that 2021 class like Turner, and that was kind of the COVID class and that was kind of the year where not a lot of people uh, to do the vetting that they normally do. And I think of pivotal players in this game. I think of Terry on Arnold. I think of Dallas Turner. They made the decision Bama over Georgia because they thought they would have a little bit more hardware. They would have a little bit more jewelry. And they've seen Georgia do that. I don't know if you saw it, Brandon, but you know, somehow the Alabama freshmen are, are, are on a bunch of media portals now. They have their own weekly shows. They have your, their own weekly hits. And I thought this was a very interesting quote very accurate quote from Tyler Booker. That's an offensive lineman, plays a lot for Alabama, been a starter, um, along with, um, you know, a lot of other freshmen on the team. But he said something I thought was pretty telling. He said, if you ask anybody in Alabama right now, there was a time when they thought they were going to go to Georgia. And if you ask anybody in Georgia right now, there was a time when, likewise, they thought they were probably going to go to Alabama. These two kids, I think of this a lot. I think of the great... Uh, I believe it was a 1984 movie, Red Dawn. There's a scene in there where a downed fighter pilot talks about the U.S. and the Soviet Union. The two biggest kids on the block, sooner or later they're going to fight. That's kind of an iconic quote for me when I look at Alabama and Georgia. These two teams just match up. That's just the way it is. Not only is it extremely good programming, but these are the best of the best of the best in what they do. They pick and choose. They select players. I think one edge I see for Georgia between the two right now, and not just because it's on the world-famous Dog Nation daily program, is I think culture and what Georgia has cultivated over the last, you know, not just 29 games, but, you know, that streak extends a great deal, if not for the Alabama win in the SEC. I think what Georgia has built with, with luminaries like Cedric Von Prahm, Kamari Lasseter, Brock Bowers, Tate Ratledge, I mean, on and on, I think, I think what looms for Georgia – is there's a sense of we've been through the wars, we can get it done. And, you know, Brandon, to me, I don't, everybody's got their theories on this football game. I just know this game is going to be won like the way the first national championship was won. Brandon, that goes back seven minutes left in the game. Georgia had a very slim lead, and they put the ball on the ground and said, we're going to move Alabama out of our way. We're going to physically maul them out of their way. And that was when Jamari Stallier and Broderick Jones had a little switcheroo at positions, and they ran the ball on seven of eight plays to take that decisive lead of eight points before Keely Ringo did his magic act at the end. But those were seven runs. It was Demir White. It was James Cook. That drive was finally capped off with a Brock Bowers touchdown. But, Brandon, I have zero doubt that the way Georgia will win this game, should they win this game on Saturday, is they're going to try to physically move Alabama off the ball and win that game that way with Dejon Edwards and with Kendall Milton, because I think that's the identity of this Georgia team. As well as they can fling it around now, they're going to keep Alabama honest. But 
I think that's the part of the formula, I think, in how Georgia beats Bama. Well, the other thing, too, you want to compare the national championship game in 2021 to previous Georgia-Alabama matchups under Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. The big difference is the Indy game had two fourth-quarter offensive touchdowns from Georgia, you know, three in total when you bring in Keely Ringo, but that was the game that that was the moment that sealed the game. But it's two fourth quarter offensive touchdowns. Compare that to the twenty seventeen national championship, I believe no second half points at all. Twenty eighteen SEC championship, I believe I'm right about this, no second half points at all. So when you look at or certainly no fourth quarter points in either of those games. Uh so when you look at what made the breakthrough win different it was scoring points in the fourth quarter and in a game that I'm expecting to go over the total in a game where I'm expecting it to take points to win I think one of the challenges for Georgia on Saturday is to find a way to score in all four quarters you know get off to the fast start perhaps matching if Alabama is able to do the same thing something that Georgia has been vulnerable to but also find a way to kind of keep the scoring going scoring in all four quarters to me is a really because if you even think about in terms of a touchdown that gets you to 28 right there in a game in which I feel like you got to be in the 30s to win finding a way to get at least a touchdown in every quarter is a pretty good recipe for getting that final score to potentially start with a three which could be the difference between winning and losing so that's a huge difference between what happened in, in, in Indianapolis compared to what had happened in previous matchups yeah, you're right. Um, you know that I do remember that 41 to 24 pretty keenly, and there was no points for Georgia in the second half. I think Alabama added 21, which is almost the final margin. And, and again, my my thought there is I think Georgia will have to throw the ball to grab a lead. But what I mean, hammer away the game. I mean, put Alabama away. I mean, Mike Tyson them in the first minute and a half. Epic, iconic Mike Tyson. I think that's the way Georgia feels like their culture, their identity, the way they're built. Brennan, I know you're keen to every quote that's dropped this week. Did you see the one this week for Kirby Smart on Cedric Von Prahn Granger's week of practice this week? I don't know if I've ever heard Kirby say something like that about how how well, I uh, think of beauty, how well Cedric Von Prahn Granger. You remember those stories from last season where Cedric took it personally when they went run O versus run D, and Jalen Carter was on the other side, and Kirby said after the championship that he was like, Oh my goodness, I gotta, I'm gonna get somebody hurt. I'm gonna get somebody killed this close to a game, this close to a big game. But he thought that's how that identity was made in the run game with Cedric leading the offense against Jalen Carter in the defense. And to, to hear Kirby say something like, like that against Cedric Von Prong Granger, I mean, Kirby's in these big games, he doesn't really try to be, besides roster issues and when guys are playing, he knows these are physical line of scrimmage games. And he knows the team that, either destroys the block and the team that makes the block usually wins this game on the line of scrimmage. That's why I think it is chiefly important, uh, almost opportune, if these things do happen for the dogs this month and over the next three games, how Kendall Milton is playing the very best football of his Georgia career. And I think he's going to be very important. I think Dejon Edwards is going to be very important. Carson Beck is a Heisman candidate. Carson Beck might be a first-round pick in one year or two years. Georgia has the ability to spread the ball around with all these receivers. That's what makes them so dynamic and diverse. But at the end of the day, I think Georgia is going to try to knock Bama out with the run game. 
And that's the way the SEC championship's always been won. Speaking of that, let me finish with this before we kind of move on and look at some of the 2024 stuff that's going on here right now. Obviously, one of the things that looms large here is a recruiting battle that Georgia lost a year ago. Caleb Downs goes over to Alabama. He's had a great freshman season. I believe that he's honestly one of Alabama's most important players on Saturday, probably playing the star position. I believe that's a very important spot in a game like this. But conversely, the other guy that kind of got away – Boy, he's made no impact whatsoever. By now, we all know what Downs is and what he's going to be for Saturday. But I think a lot of our audience may not be fully aware. Justice Haynes has not been used very much by Alabama this year. I believe he's got fewer than 30 carries on the season. Why do you think that is? Well, I think probably it has a lot to do with, you know, the funny the contrast there first, Brandon, is I think Justice would have had a lot more carries than 30 if he was wearing red and black this fall. It's funny how the recruiting tale tale of two cities kind of works a little bit there, but I think Alabama does have a deep backfield, and it's kind of a deep backfield to the point where they had a lot of guys like Jace McClellan, also a former five-star rated as highly as Justice Haynes, and Roy Dale Williams. They had a lot of backs that had kind of been waiting and waiting their turn, um, and those are the junior, senior-level backs. I mean, there's a lot of – you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Caleb Downs because the recruiting trail is great, but sometimes the game film is so much better when – when I saw Caleb Downs, I thought to myself, I've never seen a better high school prospect as a safety and ever. And that goes along with guys like Lewis Seen, goes along with guys like, you know, Malachi Starks wasn't even a pure safety. He was mostly a running quarterback in high school. But you, you know, that's Richie LeCount. That's a lot of great safeties, Brandon. But Caleb Downs just got it, whether it was watching the film, the physicality, the, the dad in college football where he looked like he was trained by clinic tape his whole life. Uh, and then the way, the way I think Caleb's going to be very important in this game because I wonder what they're going to do with Caleb. Is that the guy that they're going to try to stick with potentially a, a ready to go or going to go give it a go, Lad McConkey? Is that the guy that's going to have to deal with Brock Bowers a lot in space because he's about the only athlete that can hang with a, a guy like Brock Bowers given the size and speed and strength element right there? Caleb is very important for Alabama. I think Caleb will be greatly important for Alabama in the next few Georgia. Alabama games to come but that's one of those things that you never know what you're going to get until you get to that depth chart and justice choosing Alabama uh, I'm sure most everyone I'm sure those Vegas odds would have expected him to average more than two two or three carries per game heading into Atlanta all right, let's shift gears to recruiting here for a moment. And you kind of touched on this moment ago. I want to follow up on that. You were up in Tennessee yesterday, getting a chance to hear from Andre Evans and Marcellus Barnes. And I guess Barnes in particular, the most interesting here right now on a couple of fronts. A, recently decommitted from Virginia Tech. Seems like he's very much on Georgia's radar right now. And it sounds like he had a little bit of a reaction to the Fran Brown news taking the Syracuse head coaching job. So we've already known that Ellis Robinson sort of reaffirmed his pledge to, there to UGA. So for Barnes, in particular, what did he say about the Brown situation and how well does that reflect the overall mood as Georgia's now minus a big-time recruiter who's going to become a head coach and yet still seemingly in pretty good shape with the defensive backs either in the fold or perhaps possible to be in the fold? Brandon, what's that phrase Dog Nation likes to use a lot with the way Georgia recruits kind of chess, like underwater 4D chess, not checkers? Marcel told me last night that he said – he got an inkling, he got some whispers uh, from the Georgia staff that that Fran Brown might not be long for the staff and he would be getting a head coaching job. That goes back to, he told me, the Ole Miss game when he had a sit-down with Kirby where Kirby said, make sure you see me before you leave. And as a result, Marcellus Barnes 
uh, he actually stayed later than he anticipated because he got a chance to talk to Kirby. I think that was a pivotal uh, change agent in the recruitment from Marcellus Barnes Jr. And you see now where Fran told him he was going to be the Syracuse head coach, gave him a couple of days, maybe 48 hours, maybe 36 hours exactly, um, sort of a heads up. And then he also offered him. He said, I'm, I'm offering you at Syracuse as well. And uh, Marcellus was like, well, maybe I might take an official up there, but it's really cold up there in New York. But the way Georgia recruits all these guys, Brandon, I said on Before the Hedges this week, brought to you by Kroger, that one of the things I thought the Fran Brown stuff did this week was it is a, it was a very big flex for Georgia recruiting. Now, mind you, they took the number one ranked recruiter in the nation, and that's determined by a formula of how many guys that Fran Brown was either the lead or the offer or a co-lead on. And they took the number one recruiter in the nation there, Fran Brown, and Georgia lost him. And there was exactly pretty much zero hiccups or pause or consternation about what was going to happen with the guys he held bringing to the fold at Georgia. Andre Evans kind of described it to me perfectly, kind of like in a secondary when you got to switch off guys in the middle of the route. Fran Brown made Andre Evans fall in love with Georgia. He basically said he would not have flipped to Georgia from LSU without Fran Brown. But once Brown, once Andre Evans was in the fold, all the reasons why it made sense still made sense. First of all, he got some great, great advice from his guardian, uh, Joe, Stan- Joe Stanford, who said, listen, kid, you're fooling yourself if you think, I know you love Fran, but you're fooling yourself if you think he's going to be ahead, he's not going to be somewhere else in three or four years. He's like, and Fran even told him with remarkable transparency, the way Georgia recruits Brandon is kind of brutally honest. They tell you how hard it's going to be. They say, if you don't want to work, don't come here. We, we, don't, we don't need you. And then they say it's going to be the hardest thing of your life, but it's going to be worth it. And Fran told him, like, hey, man, if I, get a, if I get a college coaching head job, I'm going to bounce. To the extent that Fran gave them the names of the schools in the Northeast he would go to. And this matched up. So they knew it was coming. But in the meantime, Georgia, Kirby Smart, the recruiting office, guys like David Cooper, and uh, Angela Kirkpatrick, Logan Reed, Christina Harris, um, the Georgia recruiting family. You can call it a machine. You can call it a behemoth. But Georgia cemented them in, not just one specific position coach. And you see it play out this week as Ellis Robinson said the same thing. Like Ellis Robinson's recruitment, Brandon, was pretty much done this time last year when Georgia got on a phone call with his entire family before he was having surgery. And they let him in a word. Of, they let a word of prayer, and that's what sold mom. That's what sold dad. That's what sold Ellis. And this was back in November, December of the 2022 cycle, and of 2022 for the 2023 cycle. That's how far Georgia was working ahead with a guy like Ellis Robinson. So to the point where Fran's going to go, and Fran was absolutely his guy. He loves Fran, but he knows the place he needed to be was at Georgia. Brandon Fran even gave one of those Godfather talks to. Uh, to, Mark, to, to Andre Evans afterwards, where he was like, listen, I'm going to go to Syracuse. You need to be at Georgia. You'll be great at Georgia. That stirs up memories of what Sam Pittman said with guys like um, Tate Ratledge and Broderick Jones. Um, Fran Brown doing Georgia solid on the way out the door. And I mean, it's one thing to be the number one recruiting class in the country. It's one thing to have all these ace, incredible, silver tongue, golden tongue, honey tongues recruiters. But then when one of them leaves, it's the Georgia machine that keeps it there. And I think that speaks back to our opening topic of conversation, man, where it was like they see the championships, they see the development, they know Kirby Smart is a defensive guy, and that's why everything sticks when one of these 
really quality professionals on Georgia's staff perfects their profession and gets one of those big jobs. Jeff, great stuff. Thank you for being here. Looking forward to seeing you in Atlanta tomorrow. SEC Championship about to go down. Should be a fun one. One of the more storied series in recent college ball history between these two teams and another fascinating chapter to be written. So we appreciate your time and we'll see you in Atlanta and talk to you back here again on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger again very soon. Take it easy, B.A. See everybody in Atlanta. Stay dry. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, obviously rain in the forecast tomorrow, but we're still expecting a really fun day, both with the roof closed for Mercedes-Benz State in the SEC Championship and, of course, our Dog Nation go for 3-23 and tailgate for that. Plenty of tent cover there for that. So uh, dognation.com for more details. If you want a great tailgate right to the next to the stadium, you don't have to walk very far, so you don't have to worry about getting too wet going into the stadium. Good, really close tailgate gives you a chance to do that. A lot of tent cover, all-inclusive. Uh, for the three hours prior to the game, and then the, the Go for Three and 23 t shirt while supplies last. Dognation.com, last minute opportunity for you there on that. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear it yesterday, I would invite you to check out yesterday's show. Incredible stuff from Brad Nessler from CBS Sports about the feeling that he has about calling the final game of the SEC on CBS tomorrow, and a little bit of a tip off about some things they have with Vern Lundquist, who was obviously a big part of this for a good number of years. So, a lot of good stuff going down on CBS tomorrow. Brad Nessler gave us a little bit of a preview of that yesterday. I would invite you to check that out near the end of yesterday's show if you missed it. For now, though, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And one of the themes for us when we talk about Royal Caribbean is all the new stuff that Royal Caribbean has in store for 2024. One of the things you need to be very well aware of is the new offering from the newest Oasis-class ship when it debuts in July of 2024. That's Utopia of the Seas. Now, when you think about an Oasis-class ship, you know I don't know if you've never been on a cruise, you may not be fully aware of all the the really fun and exciting entertainment options that exist on a ship like this. It's a ton of specialty restaurants. There are all these various what we call like neighborhoods where you're like you're walking through the Central Park and it looks like you're in a big city park somewhere, even though you're on a ship. Or the same thing for like the boardwalk area, which almost kind of reminds you of like a, a Coney Island or a Santa Monica Pier or something like that, but you're on a cruise ship. And the same thing there as well for like the ice skating spectacular and the uh, aqua theater where you get a chance to watch the high diving shows and the thing that i believe really sets apart a royal caribbean cruise ship from almost any other cruise vacation you can take is the entertainment options that happen while you're on board and the newest oasis class ship utopia of the seas definitely going to be an example of that when it debuts in july of 2024 so talk to jessica slater right now because the cool thing about this is for those of you that are more in the market for like i say a three or a four night sailing that's what utopia of the seas is going to be all about so jessica can tell you about it give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or email her jslater at dreamvacations.com that's jslater at dreamvacations.com she can tell you all about that you can be a part of this incredible incredible experience uh utopia of the seas when it debuts july of 2024 all right let me give you final thoughts we'll stick to the kind of power five stuff here i think the group of five uh conference title games are pretty interesting you've got quarterback injuries that probably are a factor in a couple of those mac aac so watch closely there on that 
you've got a really weird situation where the favor in the Mountain West almost completely different than it would have been. Boise, as of late, playing much better after firing its coach. Uh, UNLV kind of limping in after losing last week to San Jose State. So I think the group of five title games are pretty interesting, but I probably find those more interesting than you do. So I'll stick to Power Five here just for a moment. My official pick for Georgia, I told you earlier, I like the game to go over. I like Georgia to win, but I believe it's probably close. I'm going to take it 38-28. You know, maybe a little bit of margin for Georgia, a game that has, I believe, a lot of points, and Georgia just making more of those plays on the back of Carson Beck to be able to get that done. Vegas tonight, we assume one of the college ball playoff tickets gets punched, although I would watch carefully here if Oregon wins, depending on how the rest of the stuff shakes out, there could be more of an argument against Oregon than maybe has been made here thus far. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll wait on that to see if that's even a necessary discussion. Conventional wisdom is playoff ticket gets punched tonight, Oregon against Washington. And the talk leading into this game is the fact that Oregon is such a large favorite. Now, there are two reasons for this. Reason number one, Oregon's just been laying waste to everyone, including last Friday night against Oregon State in-state rivalry game. We thought the Beavers would probably play pretty well in that spot. But the truth is, is that Oregon's right now just handling business against everyone, including an Oregon State team that had pushed Washington the week before. That's sort of the flip side story here. Washington has just not played as well as of late. They're winning, but they're winning close. And you know, if you want to go back to September, Michael Penix, the Washington quarterback, was the talk of the college football world. But what a lot of people, because a lot of people who talk about this stuff don't actually watch the games. Have you ever noticed that? And one of the things that I think has been overlooked here the last couple of months is, is that Michael Penix has not been playing as well late. Now, you can decide for yourself. I'm not a medical professional. Does that mean that he's injured or does that mean he's just not as effective as he once was? I'll let smarter people than me kind of diagnose the why, but the what is clear for anybody to see. Penix is not the same quarterback. Therefore, Washington has not been the same team. They've been winning, but they have not been, you know, winning with margin at all. That's one of the reasons why we've seen, you know, Washington is like a nine and a half point or perhaps in some cases even up to 10 uh, point underdog here in this spot. I think that Oregon's a pretty easy take here, even though this is a lot of points against a Washington team that's undefeated. Oregon's just been the better team thus far this season. You're paying full price if you take the Ducks here right now, but I believe it's sort of Oregon or nothing here in this spot. I also like the favorite in the Big 12 title game, too, between Texas and Oklahoma State. It's a big number. It's 14 and a half, and that half point, of course, could loom large. But once again, you know, this is an Oklahoma State team that, you know, not only got beat like 45-3 to UCF, but, you know, barely beat BYU. Had to go to overtime against a BYU team that's not been very good. Close win recently against Houston. That's a team that's just fired its coach. If you look at, for those of you that like the advanced stats and things like that, Oklahoma State is among the luckiest teams in America if you look at what they call post-game win expectancy. This is based on how the game was played, the likelihood of you winning. Oklahoma State has won more games in unlikely fashion than almost any team in the country, which speaks to a pretty soft team against Texas here in this spot. I also believe that Texas has a little bit of motivation here, not just to make the playoff, but what a lot of people don't remember or realize is Texas actually hasn't won the Big 12 since 2009. So in their final year of the league, going out with a conference championship, you would assume they're a little bit motivated to do that. I like a minus the 14 and a half. Now, Louisville, Florida State for the ACC title game. This is where a lot of the energy is going to be here this week because the debate's going to be whether or not Florida State, as an undefeated team, even deserves to be in the college football playoff, given the fact they're almost certainly not one of the four best teams without Jordan Travis. There are also some weird rumors right now in the last few hours as it relates to Tate Rodemaker. I have no idea if these are true or not. Uh, this could be one of those 
fake tweet things that goes viral, whatever else. But there's a little bit of chatter out there about Rodemaker right now. So at least be aware of that. He did take a big hit last week against Florida. This may be fake news, but it is out there right now, at least worth watching. The point is, I think this is one of those games in which Louisville's probably the right side anyway. I believe the total in this game has actually gone down as the week's gone on in terms of the expected points. But I sort of like to go over the total here in this spot. I think that Louisville is a very aggressive, perhaps opportunistic defense that gives the Florida State wide receivers a chance to help Rodemaker out potentially. But I think it also increased the likelihood there could be a defensive score here in this spot. But ultimately, I think that Florida State has been a more likely no than yes for the college football playoff. We're down to the wire. That may take a loss to occur. I'll back Louisville plus the two and a half here in this spot. The problem is if you really want to stand on the table for Louisville, you know, making a big deal about Rodemaker over Travis. The truth is Jack Plummer has not been a great quarterback for Louisville, I think, for the most part here this year. I don't know that it's a huge advantage for Louisville at that position. But Florida State's clearly a lesser team without its starting quarterback. They could just flat out lose here in this spot. It's worth the flyer on Louisville. If Florida State wins, what happens after that? boy that could get pretty interesting although I believe the committee is going to probably favor Florida State then the Big Ten title game I wouldn't watch this game if it was played in my backyard but nonetheless Michigan's a 23 and a half point favorite here in this spot I think Michigan's probably motivated because uh, you know Jim Harbaugh's coming back I think Iowa's not good enough to score the one thing that just kind of sort of rings in your ears about this game is the one time this year Iowa's played a team similar to Michigan it was Penn State and they lost like 31 nothing or something like that to me that's what this sort of feels like there as well we don't have a lot of examples of like shocking results in the big 10 title game favorite usually wins pretty easy 23 and a half is a lot of points against an Iowa team that legitimately is very good defensively they wouldn't have won 10 games they weren't so good defensively but nonetheless I'm going to go Michigan minus the 23 and a half here at least take a flyer on that those are your power five conference championship games will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean also want to give a shout out here uh to our folks in cartersville georgia you got some really fun activities coming up in cartersville as we move towards the holiday season a brand new escape room called michigan escape uh it's the uh, game of thrones axe throwing type event next door to a drowned uh, alley with live music with every weekend so uh really really fun stuff there also you can give the gift of memories this year with tickets to the smithsonian adventure for the whole family to savoy automobile museum uh the uh, uh all kinds of really good stuff kind of going on there it's visit cartersvillega.org visit cartersvillega.org for more on that and a quick shout out here to our friends at precision garage doors there as well because we talk a lot about five-star recruits on this show well they got a five-star reputation for excellence atlanta providing exceptional on-time service phones answered 24 7 uh you can get in touch you can talk to folks about what you need whether it's a simple repair or maybe you need the garage door replaced because eventually you probably do precision garage door is dog is dog nation's choice on all of that so make sure you find them online at precisiondoorgeorgia.com that's precisiondoorgeorgia.com so a couple of golden shoes to give out we're going to do some more next week so many of you are kind enough to send those spotify wraps into us we're going to share some more of those next week also we've got a couple of great videos as it relates to some stuff like that so next week we kind of have hopefully the calm of a of a knowing George in the playoff and getting ready for all of that we'll do some very very fun uh golden shoes to sort of celebrate some of you who've been so kind to us but today game face on for Georgia and Alabama a couple of golden shoes to go out the door there on that starting with our first one here and we will uh, show this to you on the uh screen 
Uh, Brandon Griffin sends this in, hashtag golden shoe material. It says, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Beautiful artwork there. Two national championship trophies flanked on either side. And a great message to head into Saturday. Alabama better beware on all of that. Maybe Georgia should beware too, at least according to what Clint Haynes has to say. He sends a very funny picture in. Nick Saban perhaps paying off the referees. Uh, We'll give this one to you. If we have it, let's see if we got that. Yeah, there we go. Clint Haynes sending this in. B.A., don't matter about those lousy, stinking referees. Dog's still going to win 45-27. Hashtag go for three and 23. It's a funny picture. So Nick Saban's got the money. He's leaned over the referee. The referee's counting the money. This is almost like that Justin Scott recruiting picture from yesterday, too. So uh, that's pretty good stuff and uh, pretty funny indeed. Clint, thanks for sharing that. Go for three and 23 indeed. We will give you a golden shoe for that there as well. And then finally, those lousy, stinking Gators. Speaking of them, a long time since they've beaten Georgia, about 1,119 days. That's our Gator Hater Updater. And very quickly to wrap up, y'all, thanks for making this a great week for us here on our program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Very important day tomorrow, so stay close to Dog Nation. Keep a good thought. Let's watch the dogs go out and beat Bama and punch a ticket to go for three in 23. We'll see you then. And talk to you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger.